Welcome back, everybody, to the Real Weirdos Podcast, and we hope you're doing okay today. I'm Jesse, along with my co-hosts Alex and Jeff, and we are the Real Weirdos, two and a half white men with English degrees who talk about movies for way too goddamn long. Today we're talking about the long-awaited, by somebody, I'm sure, uh, part three of our Paul Thomas Anderson discussion, (laughs) which is really just to say that we're finally watching Licorice Pizza, and we're going to talk about it and how it fits into Anderson's catalog of movies, as far as our tastes are concerned. If you don't know about Licorice Pizza, it's not only a movie about Los Angeles in the 70s, it's also about Los Angeles in the 70s (laughs) in bright big neon letters. (laughs) It's also about a precocious 15-year-old boy played by the son of the late great Philip Seymour Hoffman, Cooper Hoffman, and his awkward semi-romance with a 25-year-old woman who can't quite seem to grow up or figure out her place in the world. And before we get into the meat of this discussion, I would like to address this right out of the gate, because there has been some pretty heavy and vocal criticism directed towards this film for dealing with these themes. So, if my boys are okay with it, I would dearly like to just divest myself of this right now. Mm-hmm. Get it out, right. boyo. I will get it out. So, movies are an art, okay? It might not seem like it some of the time when you see stuff like Uncharted in the theaters, but even when they're bad or generic or whatever, there is artistry to them on many levels. And whether you like a movie or not, or agree with what it's saying or not, is completely irrelevant to what I'm about to say. Art exists. It's out there, in many, many forms all around you. And art deals with themes and motifs that are not always comfortable for you. Fucking Lolita exists, and is not only spectacularly transgressive in terms of the themes it's exploring, which are far more horrific and explicit than this sweet little love story without sex in 1970s LA, but Lolita is also still hailed as one of the most important works in the entire lexicon of high literature. And there are movies about it, multiple movies. So like, For people angry with this movie, are you going to be angry about those? What about the endless cavalcade of movies that deal with more overt illegalities, like murder, robbery, and torture, which flood the theaters and streaming services every day? Like, where is the rage about those? It's there, but it's not there among reasoning adults. Because you understand, deep in that brain of yours, that an expression of a theme in an artistic medium does not equate to an endorsement of that theme. Tarantino, for instance, has some of the most violent films that play in major markets and are a celebration of excessive violence. But we understand that it's an art and Tarantino is not, through his art, directing you to go out and murder people. That's absurd. Let me reiterate this. Expression does not equate to agreement. And things that are taboo in society make for rich themes for artistic exploration. And even then, like, to reiterate another point, this is not Lolita. This movie is a quaint, expressive coming-of-age story about a confident teenager and a young adult woman who is dealing with feelings of stunted adolescence in a non-sexual relationship because these things happen, and it's interesting to explore them in an artistic medium, be that cinematically or otherwise, So, I guess my message to everyone decrying this film as, like, pedophilic propaganda, you need to understand that art exists, and moreover, it doesn't always exist to make you comfortable. And that's okay. It's okay to feel uncomfortable. But saying something like this is worthless trash, or even worse, propaganda, because it makes you feel that way, is just narrow-minded. Like, art, art elicits reactions. It's just part of the game. It's part of the deal. And that's a part, a major part of why it's interesting. Um, one final point here, and this is where I will give some of the thoughts about this film some credit, 
if not the rage with which people present these thoughts? Yes. We would think about the film differently if it were a 15-year-old girl and a 25-year-old man. We just would. It would lend it a darker edge and definitely be more provocative. There is something of a double standard here that's worth talking about. But is it not even kind of interesting that the movie made you think about that? Like, I, I should not even ha have to say this, but I will anyway, just to be absolutely clear on my own behalf, that I also do not endorse relationships with minors, of course. But once again, art can explore these things. And expression of a theme does not equate to agreement. And you'd be a fool to think that somebody as smart as Paul Thomas Anderson doesn't know this and didn't think carefully about this. He knew this relationship would complicate the weave of his film. And maybe, just maybe, that's actually part of the point. Life is complicated. It doesn't always fit into your categories, our categories, of blatant acceptability. Like, these things happen, right? These kind of relationships. And it's interesting to explore them. And I, I loathe that I even felt the need to say any of this. I could go into a whole thing here about the tacit agreement we have as a society with art generally, and how we don't have an authoritarian regime of art police for a very good reason. But if you don't get the picture from this, then I don't know what to tell you, except to say this is probably not the podcast for you. Okay, I'm done pontificating. Light me up, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, sometimes you feel like you've got to say what you got to say. <clears throat> this film, the criticism of this film, while if it if this film makes people uncomfortable, you know, that sucks. You know, as me as a big fan of comedy and comedians, like I'm not shy about being on that camp of like, you're allowed to say what you want to say. What What is hate speech and what isn't hate speech is pretty obvious. What isn't pedophilia and is can be pretty obvious. If you are digging that hard to find it, then you're trying to find it. In this it. movie. <laughs> I didn't find a single grain of that theme in this film at all. So I have no idea where this criticism is coming from. I don't feel like this movie embraces pedophilic concepts. There's no sexual... The, the worst thing that they do is kiss and she shows him her boobs. Yeah, like, it's kind of kid stuff. Like, it's... She's also very, like, repressed and regressed as a character. Like, this isn't... Like, none of this is an excuse, but, like, we can't sit there and be like, okay, well, this is, like, an interpretation of real life. So I'm not really going to entertain this thought. Like, this movie is a very cute love drama that is more about, like, what does it mean to, like, feel a part of a relationship and a friendship with somebody who's older and the different gender than you. Like it's, yeah, there, there are other themes at play here. And when you say that pedophilia is one of them, I think you're diminishing 60% of what the movie is trying to do. <laughs> right. Cause it's only half about that anyway. The other half is just yeah, like, there's a LA, whole other it's a, concept. It'll bring yeah. in one of Jeff's favorite phrases here. It's definitely a love letter. It's, Paul Thomas Anderson uh, giving a love we'll, letter we'll talk about that. to Los Angeles yeah. in the 1970s. But we'll get into all this. Um, maybe not necessarily. I think we've said our say about that one part. But um, sure. Alex, what did you think about yeah. Paul Thomas Anderson's licorice pizza? Well, as far as it being a love letter to L.A., I think at this point we have to just admit that it's turning into an epic poem to LA his entire career <laughs> his, Bar a few. Yeah, his whole career <laughs> um I liked it the least I thought it was disjointed I thought it was neurotic I thought it was at times jarring and unsettling because of my opinion about Tom Paul Thomas Anderson and my inability to consume and like digest this film in a way that I usually like to enjoy film um it's been called like a passion personal project with him and his friends and his wife. And while I know that's been said as a compliment, I get it. It definitely shows though in the film that it was a personal project and he had almost zero intention of making it an actual plot or palatable storyline in relation to his other films. It is head and shoulders above other films that come out today. 
I liked it in that sense. But god damn, this film makes me mad. <laughs> uh, that's that's interesting, man. I think Jeff's on the same page, but I want to explore why it made you uncomfortable. Did you say that? that you said it was jarring and... Neurotic. What did you say exactly? You said neurotic, but there was another key word in there that I wanted to touch on. It was, it was unsettling. Unsettling. That was the word. Yeah. Um, not because of the content. I'll, I'll have to stress right. that. Um, it's just the straight up like disjointed narrative structure and just the energy that was like shoved upon me and the kinetic motion of the film that was shoved upon me without me really knowing what was going on. And before I could sink my teeth in it, it was like he was taking courses away from me while I was at a meal before I took my first bite. <laughs> and I don't know. I don't know. Uh, oh, God. Yeah, I want Like, I couldn't wait to get into that element of this movie. Is This is his most fragmented story by far. Like, the story of this movie... I understand the story of this movie is based on characters, uh, people that he has known or idolizes. There's a lot of love, Paul Thomas Anderson's love in this movie. And... That's great. Like it, it, it feel it made me smile while I was watching it. <clears throat> it has a great, like, um, rose-colored glasses of L.A. in the '70s tone, where it's like everything seems bright and colorful and peace and like the hippie movement. Like you only hear about kind of the dark turnings of the world through like the TV with the oil embargo and stuff like that. So. It's a very stylized and idolized version of this world, but I agree with Alex 100%. The story is fragmented, it's fractured. It it's it seems like a story that makes sense if you were there or you were a part of that world at that mm. time or something because for me I felt like every character I was like who is this supposed to be because he's like I'm a famous actor. Like Bradley Cooper's character comes in and while Absolutely my favorite character and hilarious. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I'm like, who is this guy supposed to be? And he's like, I'm Barbara Streisand's boyfriend. I'm like, okay, so Barbara Streisand had this boyfriend. Like, he's I don't a big know. movie producer. See, I don't time. know anything about like Hollywood movie producers and directors in the 70s besides like the most famous. So right. a lot of the themes in the movie Besides Dirk are Diggler, right? <clears throat> okay. Damn it. What? what? Dirk Diggler. That was a Paul Thomas Anderson joke about the 70s. Oh, okay. I guess it. I tried and failed. <laughs> Swing and a miss. He was the young man. Oh, well. I've pontificated at length and uh, missed oh, sorry, a joke. I just didn't catch it. Dirk um, Diggler. Boogie Nights. Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. <laughs> I, he's, he's supposed to be Dirk no. Diggler? No, no, no. No, I, never mind. <laughs> oh, I, I, see, I don't get it. I don't get what you're trying to say. <laughs> never mind. Never mind. So I, I agree with you guys completely. And those things didn't matter to me too much. Okay. Um, okay. I, I will agree. I think in terms of ranking, it might be, it's definitely towards the bottom, right? This is no Boogie Nights. Uh, this is no There Will Be Blood. It's not even a Magnolia. It's, and you're right in saying like, this is a very personal movie for him. It might be his most personal movie. You can see that it's just like his version of the 70s where he grew up and it is, I mean, I hate to bring it back to it, but it is a complete love letter. And you're definitely right about the plot. It is completely fragmented, but I didn't see it as a movie about the plot. And therefore, the plot didn't matter too much to me. It was more just like a collage of emotions and of like scenes in Los Angeles and exploring this time and place. And I was completely invested in just experiencing this time and place that I've never been to. And it felt so real and so authentic that like, it's like some when somebody makes a really good Western or like a period drama from like the 1800s where it's like, I've never been there. I wasn't even alive. But when you do it with the amount of skill and love that a director can do, if you put me in there, then I'm just like, hell yeah, I'm in. I'm in for it. Yeah. Oh, I mean, absolutely. There were some like, mise-en-scene choices for sure that made it like very captivating visually and narratively it fills it out really well and it makes it feel very authentic that's definitely true i do agree that there's there's an element to that nostalgia and that kind of that personal love that you can see and feel like i always say like a like a meal isn't 
you can take the best chef, but if the best chef is totally disconnected from what he's doing, the meal's going to suck because it's hollow. It's art. It's something that needs love behind it. And so you can feel the love and the art in this movie. But I have no connection to this era at all. And what about the so music, not even like the music. The music was great. Oh, yeah, the music yeah. is probably yeah. one of the best uh, kind of top yeah. tier. <laughs> Everyone is <laughs> like every artist from there I is know. in this. Yeah, I mean it's got the it's got the best of the best uh, as far as rock and roll and punk and just what was popular at that time. But <clears throat> I don't know. It's uh, yeah, I think this is a movie my dad would love because he kind of grew up in L.A. at this time, and so I think he was more into like zeppelin and all that kind of stuff so but it it felt like that it felt like that type of love where it's when they say like movies are time machines like this feels like a time machine you really feel like the the authenticity of the time period but it feels like it was made in the 70s to be honest yeah i mean besides the fact that it besides the fact that it's really high quality like the movie looks gorgeous Oh yeah. yeah. Point on that, the photography, um, this the the camera elements, I believe he used thirty five millimeter in this and he didn't even have it digitally like transferred. They no, had it was they all used, chemically transferred. Yeah, so I mean we yep. we know what to expect with Paul Thomas Anderson. And this is not a color, surprise. He did the color temping and everything on his own, like personally. The so like th- like everything about this movie from the lighting to the color has his fingerprint on it. So we would be remiss not to, not to at least mention or explore that that element of the film. That like this is, this is kind of a point where you get to as an artist, and this kind of goes into like less talking about Licorice Pizza, but more talking about Paul Thomas Anderson, where I think he's getting to a point in his career where he's recognizing that I need to make a couple movies for me. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> like mm. I'm I'm popular enough. I have the backing enough. I have the support and the respect enough from actors and people that I respect. Where I need to make a couple movies that I will look back on and be super proud of. Yeah, you know, Jesse and I spoke on this actually on uh, our Wes Anderson book report, where I mentioned the same thing, and like that was one silver lining to having to watch. The French Dispatch, which was okay, but it was like, it made me feel good that a filmmaker that I liked at least had this breathing room and this like influence to just be like, you know what, fuck it, I'm gonna do something for my kicks for once. So, no, I I definitely feel that. And like, I was thinking of that the whole time I was watching this movie. And I was like, man, my my discussion is gonna track along kind of the same line. Um, You're you're happy for Paul Thomas Anderson that he was able to make this movie. Yeah. That's the feeling I get. You're like, nice. I'm happy you were able to do this and and do a vision that you can. I can tell you really wanted. That only makes a filmmaker more confident, more interested, more invested, more hungry. Yeah. So. Yeah. I had that. I was going to ask you that question, Alex. Um, <laughs> I think we talked about it before. It's like our other favorite Anderson filmmaker, <laughs> Wes Anderson, because we had the same reaction. We were like, this is probably a technical masterpiece, but we didn't connect with the story very much. Yeah. It just felt like, but we were really glad that he got to make the movie he wanted to make. Yeah. And it was definitely his most personal film because he loves The New Yorker. And it was all about making a movie that was kind of about that. Mm-hmm. It was cool that people liked it and that he made it and that it got the accolades that it did. It just wasn't for me. And that's okay. Yeah. I liked, I enjoyed Licorice Pizza more thoroughly. I think, I think it could have been maybe a half hour shorter towards the end. I was kind of like, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's like. The end dragged like, on for sure. Especially when it's just disjointed stuff for two and a half hours. Like, oh, they're running towards something or driving towards something. Like, what's this next scene that doesn't connect anything? By the time she got involved with the politics and, like, I was, like, starting to get a little disconnected. Mm, I liked that part because it was her trying to sort of transcend out of this youthful phase before she, I guess, I don't know, falls back into it at the end. (laughs) Relapses. Relapses. I don't know how I feel about that, but it was a weird movie to to sort of digest as well because it's, I still don't know exactly how I feel about it. I really enjoyed it, but I think, and I I definitely don't have the same criticisms as you guys do, or at least I have the same criticisms, but they don't matter as much because like when I'm immersed in the world and the filmmaking, 
then the story doesn't matter as much, especially when it's so in the background. So the natural, going to the cinematography aspect, at least one thing that like I'm hung up on because I liked it. I was going to ask, it seemed like every scene was shot in the natural light of like the late afternoon, early evening. It had that like golden sun like kind of look to it. And there's a scene in um, There Will Be Blood where he's walking, he's quail hunting. He's like actually quail hunting with HW and they're like finding the oil. And when they're walking, they're like kicking up the dust and they're like the golden sun rays shining down on, on them. And I was like, damn. I see it in my head. Oh, I love that scene. But I was like, that scene, for some reason, the color palette, I feel like he transferred over to this this film. Not intentionally, maybe. You know, it's just a little byproduct of his style. But I love how you said it is a collage of emotion because that makes it at least a little more, like, cohesive to me, giving it that type of uh, term or, like, descriptor because that's really what it was. I mean... You have Sean Penn at one point just, like, reciting fucking random lines out of nowhere. Love it, dude. <laughs> dude, I love the, uh, the cameos in this movie. Not even cameos. I mean, you have Sean Penn as, like, you know, full role. Uh, Tom Waits. As yes. Just, just, yes. Just being Tom Waits is that was amazing. And it's, like, he's, like, it's one of the best characters. He has so much, like, love and life to him in that. I don't know. That whole scene was just seeing Tom Waits because, you know, I respect him so much as a musician Mm -hmm. and a writer. And it's, like, just seeing him be so jovial and happy at his age was so, like, nice. I don't know. It was very, like, sweet. Beautiful. like, oh, Tom Waits looks, like, happy. That's awesome. (laughs) I absolutely adored that scene. It might have been. We'll do our awards later, but... It's going to get one for sure. Oh, yeah. um, they, there was just this whole implied storytelling going on between him and Sean Penn where they would remark upon things and you could you could just feel that there was this whole history there. And that's like really powerful to achieve as a filmmaker and a, and a couple of actors. Mm-hmm. It, it was a really cool dynamic that those two had. And Tom Waits was hilarious in his little like five-year-old baseball cap. Yeah, yeah. I, I almost oh, wanted yeah, to see like a little out. spinner on top. <laughs> yeah, it was so great, dude. Like uh, everybody, all the cameras. Like I was saying to Jess, did you catch John C. Riley? Yes, Alex. Yes, I'm the real. Dude, I'm yes. the real Ed Monster. I'm the uh, real Ed Monster. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like we're close right now. I'm not. I'm not on the clock. Yes, I'm the real Ed Monster. I said it out like, loud it so to my girlfriend. I said it aloud while we were watching. I go, "That's John C. Riley." <laughs> That's exactly. I said it out loud too. I was like, "Wait." Was that John C. Riley? <laughs> like, I could just tell from his voice. I missed it. I fucking missed it. So, I think my biggest problem, Jesse, I, I want to, like, kind of dovetail this into what you were saying. I think w- the reason I couldn't connect or, like, sink my hooks into this movie was I didn't buy into the love aspect. I didn't buy into their connection. Or, like, I just... I'm not saying it wasn't genuine. It just appealed to me in no way whatsoever. It was like... Alana Himes' character and Cooper Hoffman's character, for some reason, like, I was just like, okay, so they, they kind of like each other. Cool. Like, it had no implication to me. I don't know. It had no weight. After I did that whole thing about rich themes, huh? I, 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 it was just, <laughs> I mean, that does complex it, like, a tad. But the thing is, is I was so far off the whole pedophilia thing that I was just like, this is just a relationship between two people. He's a incredibly emotionally mature and intelligent 15 year old right and she is kind of in the reverse like kind of stunted and to go to your thing that you were saying at the beginning i didn't really say anything about it but like humans are not fax machines right we don't spit out storylines like 15 year old girl or 15 year old boy and 25 year old girl have a relationship like there's so much context and like you know, just little tiny nuance to human interaction that anyone who saw this movie and gleamed the pedophilia aspect from it, go fuck yourself. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, very true. And Uh, I would like to jump in real quick because if we're going to start talking about Cooper Hoffman... Yeah, you want to get into the performances? Yeah, I would like to, and I'd like to just jump off with him because this movie made me cry three different times. Before we jump into that, Jeff, how would, how did you feel about the relationship? Did it ring true to you? Because it, it was oh, interesting to me. Oh, I thought I mentioned me. that in the beginning. Sorry. I oh, you know. might have. You know, yeah, we're, no. we're, we're old men. 
Oh yeah, sorry. No. Um. So yeah, we can switch it around. Um. Yeah. No. I I believed it was real because I have seen those relationships before. I've seen like the stunted, or like mid. I mean, she, she, I didn't even buy her for twenty five. I was surprised when they said she was twenty five. She seemed like nineteen, twenty to me mm-hmm. in this film. Just her demeanor, the way she was dressed, her behavior. Like I guess that was to the credit of Alana Hames's. Uh, performance is like kind of playing this emotionally stunted uh, character. Okay, you're you're about you're right. Um, oh wait, no, you're wrong. She's, she's like thirty. She's thirty in real life. No, but she's supposed to be twenty five yeah. yeah, in yeah, the yeah. movie. Yeah. Sorry, I, like, I only yeah. I only gave you half my thought there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's supposed to be twenty five in the movie. So like, yeah. I didn't buy her as twenty five even. So their relationship seemed a little more natural to me. I don't know. It was seemed like. She was very clear in her intentions, like, uh, you're too young, Mm -hmm. it's illegal. Mm -hmm. Like, it was very clearly spelled out multiple times in the beginning of, like, how she actually feels about the sexual aspect of a relationship with this boy. Mm -hmm. But she sees in him a lot of attractive qualities. And I as well did, as as the viewer. I was like, oh, this kid is funny, he's confident, he's got, like, that just enough of like pushiness to him to where it's like he makes a good salesman and like a bit of a uh, bit of a ladies man even though he's a little bit of a like a dumpy character with acne mm-hmm. he still like doesn't let his appearance get in, in ahead of him yeah, and he has power a lot of swagger and yeah. that's great so i know i bought the I, I bought their relationship in the sense of the context i guess that he was trying to get to but i didn't buy their age gap Okay. I was like, ah, it's funny that you thought that she was younger when she's actually older, though. Yeah, I thought she might have been older just because of those crow's feet. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I didn't catch any of that. I didn't really look for that. I was just, I just, all I saw was, to me, I thought she was like just getting out of high school, maybe like freshman in college. Damn. And he's, yeah. and he's like 16 years old. <laughs> had the even opposite though he's thought. 16, he's a big 16. Like he's a big dude. He's a big. I mean, you could tell. Like he's probably like five eleven, two fifteen. Like he's got a big boy. I'd sell and him. So like, I'd sell him beer and cigarettes in the seventies. Exactly. <laughs> so like he has this demeanor to him that doesn't quite reflect a sixteen year old in my mind. When I think yeah, of no. a sixteen year old, I don't think of this guy and his. But I wasn't born in the seventies. Everyone seemed like they were forty in high school. Yeah, yeah, he definitely was, I don't know, like I said, a very, I don't know, auspicious young man. He's very keyed into business and has that confidence. It's all about the confidence. And we can bridge that over to the performance, man. Cooper Hoffman, the son, as we said in the intro, of the late, great Philip Seymour Hoffman. And this is his first performance. How crazy is that? Him and Alana. I know. So I didn't know that when I watched this. I didn't know who he was. I had no context. I didn't know anything about these characters. So when he first came on screen, I was excited and I wanted to talk to you. I, I wrote in my notes, a new young Philip Seymour Hoffman. Like without without knowing? Say, Wait, you were going to really? say that without I knowing? I had no idea he was uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's son. Wow. No idea. Ooh. I was like, I, I, not, I mean, I figured it out pretty quick because... I was on Amazon Prime and I was like paused for one second. Yeah. It shows all the actors and it said right. his name. And I was like, oh, Hoffman. And then I did a Wikipedia and I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. And that even made it yeah. better, though. You're like, wait a minute, a Hoffman in a PTA movie. Let me check that out. He immediately exuded his father's energy. He carries his father's. He made me cry three times in this movie, not because of any particular scene. Because of little moments where I could see his dad and I felt oh, wow. his spirit and it made me so emotional because, I mean, Philip Seymour Hoffman is arguably my second favorite actor under Daniel Day-Lewis, hence why I'm such a Paul Thomas Anderson fan. Wow, Brad Pitt um, out in the cold, just naked. Yeah, well, Brad Pitt is a great act, character actor, <laughs> yeah, I'm just but kidding, I put yeah. him in a way different category. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, he's, he's, gets, he's getting there, but those two <laughs> live in a realm of acting. That's like that's like God and Jesus <laughs> yeah, yeah, in the yeah. acting world. We have our Phil Hoffman Award, you know? Yep. So he just is just, it was just very emotional for me to see that energy on screen again, coming from a young man who looks like his father, smiles like his father, 
walks like his father and it's just there was just a lot of like love there and I don't know I just I just felt Paul Hoffman's spirit in this movie and it made me very sad and happy yeah who's Paul Hoffman <laughs> are you frozen or are you just looking at yeah, me in, in catatonic yeah, rage oh, oh you are frozen, thought, yeah. <laughs> frozen. you guys can't see this but we yeah. do have a video element just for us and jeff's face there just froze like he was looking at me like he wanted to strangle me <laughs> i know seriously perfect timing uh, for that freeze that <laughs> was amazing <laughs> alex what do you think of the performances man oh Fuck my you. man i mean as much as I've already trashed this movie a little bit, I feel bad because I'm not trashing it, but I definitely had problems with this movie. But well, wow. it's it's a it's a minor work in the canon of a master, so it's yeah. still really good, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So she was, I mean, she was great. She was so natural, and she reminded me so much, not because of her performance, because of her visage and appearance. She looks like the main character from Dazed and Confused. I'm just going to put that out there. Anyways, okay. that character's a young boy. <laughs> Make whatever conclusions of that you will. But, um, his acting was, I mean, little tidbit of context here. Paul Thomas Anderson wrote the screenplay with Alana Hyman in, in mind, right? So that's cool that he like already knew her. She was friends with whatever his connections yeah, he does. He directs music videos that are. Oh, yeah. I guess it's her and her sister's band. By the way, all all of her family in the movie is her actual family. Oh yeah, 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 that's um, true. Which is an interesting little thing you don't see very often. But continue. So she has a very natural acting style, you know, because she is not necessarily like trained as an actor. And he was having trouble with some of the younger actors. He was like screen testing for this because he didn't like. The way that they he didn't like the way that it would react with her acting style on screen he didn't feel like that the reactions were natural because the actors were like too trained so when he went mm. with cooper he found this more like natural like essence that he was going for and i mean he turns in a an amazing debut performance right and while i totally agree with jeff and was feeling like the tugging at my heartstrings for his father as well. I hope that he can carve out his own, you know, path and, and role. And I hope that, like, you know, in, like, public, it's like when any one of John Lennon's sons gets interviewed or some shit like that. It's, like, 45 minutes of talking about the Beatles and John and Yoko. And then, like, five minutes of, like, so what are you working on? Which, I mean, I get. But, yeah, I, I thought it was fucking amazing i mean those are the two mo more involved characters right but um good performance by his brother as well I, I forgot his name but he was a kid no uh yeah i forget too i don't know but yeah yeah apparently the the haim sisters actually babysat cooper hoffman when he was younger so they have this like familial connection that probably transferred into the film and uh, speaking on that as well Cooper Hoffman is, was not an actor. Yeah. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson like just had the idea of putting him in there, and Cooper Hoffman was like, I don't know, what's the story? So like to to be not a trained actor when somebody with no aspirations for being an actor to turn in this this natural charismatic performance is phenomenal. Like Jeff was saying, it's like. He's definitely got his dad's DNA in there. And oh, yeah. It's a spirit. Like, there's I don't... a spirit of his father in him. And also, the, uh, just as a side note, Paul Thomas Anderson chose him also because uh, the Hames sisters recommended him so highly. Oh. They were both yeah. so e eager to work with him because they loved his personality and the way he he was just very sweet and kind. And so they both vouched for him considerably and that kind of swayed Anderson. Mm. Yeah, so it's it's hard to say if he'll continue acting after this, knowing that he just has the context that he does surrounding it. But man, I hope he does. <laughs> I really hope he does. Oh yeah. But if he's not, he's immortalized in this one. Just a quick shout out to uh, Mary Elizabeth Ellis Day as um, the the main character's mom. It's Charlie Day's wife oh. from Always oh. Sunny. Yes. Um, also known as cop. Coffee? The waitress. Yeah, the waitress. Excuse me. I almost yes, said coffee lady. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's also the waitress in Lily Sunny, of course. But yeah, she is. Uh, she just 
great little bit performance. I love seeing her in things because I, I love Always Sunny so much. And so she just she did great in her little side role. Yeah. Yeah, I did not pick up on that. I haven't watched as much Always Sunny as you guys. No one has. I mean, he has connections. <laughs> Paul, Paul, as me. Paul Thomas Anderson has serious connections to the comedy world through his wife. She is a long-running member of SNL and a writer, right? So yep. it makes True. sense that he would rub elbows with some of these people, even himself. So like, it's cool that, I don't know, you can tell it's a personal project. They're like little friends sprinkled here and there and like, well, the fact that John C. Reilly appeared to be a Frankenstein for thirty, <laughs> like for less like eight than seconds. four seconds of screen time, <laughs> yeah. just telling off like, some kids. That's it, and he just was like, "Yeah, I'll do that." Like that, just this level of respect that I think few people. I mean, that's like a Hitchcock level cameo. Yeah, yeah. it was. It shows up to eat a sandwich in the background. <laughs> you could have you could have asked any actor to come in, and they could have phoned in a role. But Bradley Cooper comes in and just <laughs> knocks it out of the fucking yeah park. we're gonna talk about him that's probably the most fun part of the movie is when he shows up you're like what the hell oh my just god the most <sighs> insane but like beautifully insane human being like i just I, I yeah he was great he was like the perfect amount of comedic relief in the middle of this movie oh, yeah i thought that that was gonna dovetail into like a narrative that continued. Did you guys have, guys have that sense? I was no. like, oh, the movie's going to be about something. No, I honestly <laughs> knew no. that this was supposed to be like the, this is the intermission yeah. in this really long movie about drama and like relationships. It was like, okay, here's the 10 minutes for you to just laugh and like be a kid. Just another piece in the collage. Yeah. I, at that point I was still like kind of attempting. I mean, this is, pretty deep into the film right when he's introduced there's like about an hour a little less than an hour to go but um i don't know i i still was trying to grapple with what the fuck these kids were doing <laughs> like how does how does this kid start this business how does this kid <laughs> right, know that, so that many is business a owners like what is why is he buying mattresses that are 69.95 but then selling them for 39.95 dude like, there is no like <laughs> there's no sense to anything that's the problem is there's no like it seems like hollywood in the 70s was run by teenagers i know I was like, like, what is it's so circus? weird like there's a point where he's in the bar and he's like this is my bar this is my joint it's like dude you're 15 bro <laughs> no. like this isn't and this is nowhere near your place oh i love that though i love how he goes in and he's just like the usual sal he's like, <laughs> you know, like dog and tries to big patient. dog fucking tom waits <laughs> yeah and then you're like how did you find the capital to open up a pinball palace i know right it's like, so weird it's, he's like walking around like he wants to be a used car car salesman <laughs> with that suit smoking a cigarette it's called like fat bernies yeah you're like oh what the hell I know. <laughs> it's like i didn't i oh, didn't know so what was good. going on so yeah when he came <laughs> in when bradley cooper came in it was like <laughs> okay here's the ringleader of this fucking circus but uh you know, John Peters, the producer, like, pretty notorious, like, legendary kind of just character on his own. Like, just, I don't know. He was just, there was a producer who said, I, di I found this in some of the research that said that if he had not worked with John Peters, he would be 20 years younger. He said <laughs> he, oh he, he was just like a comet of fucking burning energy that would just, like, totally raise every human being and building around him so well, i mean that was portrayed really oh, well yeah yeah <laughs> like yeah. The, 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 the pure chaotic energy right that bradley cooper embodied was just like it was he was like a human tornado oh 100 like sexual anarchy incarnate oh yeah <laughs> you know which tale i get all, all of it, of it. <laughs> <laughs> so good is that your sister are you dating her <laughs> uh I'm yeah. gonna kill your little brother I'm gonna strangle him, choke him the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> see that car over there? You see that Corvette? It's full of gas, and it's gonna get me to movies on time. Like, there's so many quotable lines yeah. in his performance. It's amazing. Yeah, he definitely. He was like a character. He came into this movie like he was an inherent vice or something. Just this wacky yeah, ass character. <laughs> And you're like, what the hell? And then he's gone, and you're like, oh, okay. You see him again later, a little bit. Yeah, I got just like of running that. around at the at the break of fucking dawn, just like smashing windows and hitting on girls who are going to play tennis. Streisand, 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 Streisand. Like, and you can tell that 
that Gary is like kind of trolling him a little bit when like after the second Streisand, you can tell he's now just kind of messing with him. It's like, like Andrew it's... Callahan interviewing an insane person. <laughs> oh, it was so good. Yeah. So yeah, this movie, I mean, it's cute, it's fun, but I think the lack of narrative for me just like still drags what could have been I think a really great story cuz I mean we're talking about things that for the most part actually happened. A lot of these yeah, stories Yeah, the gas shortage and kind of all that stuff. Yeah. Well, these uh the person that Gary Valentine is based off of like was a child actor, like did all of these things, like opened a hot tub place, opened a pinball shop. Oh really? Like, that's all real? I didn't know that's that. That's all real. Like this is yeah. all this is all real like for the, you know, it's obviously embellished for yeah. it's a movie. I know that the but, romantic element was just like pulled from Anderson's like ideas yeah. is But like, like, like the character of Gary Valentine was named Gary Go he had like a more oh. a different last name, but Gary Fat Bernie Gome. <laughs> yeah, but he was uh yeah, this is all like a real person. So there's an element to that I think could have lent to a really powerful narrative, but instead kind of just got lost to the wayside and it, for the sake of nostalgia, but but it, but not in a bad way. Yeah, it depends what you're looking for. I have less of a problem with like a less cohesive narrative than you do, Jeff. You're a big narrative guy. Like you always say, you want the movie to get to the point. This movie never gets to the point. The movie is the point. Yeah, in a, but that's in kind of an it's abstract way. This movie. It's, it's different yeah, for this movie. It's for this movie. It's it's so fun because you can feel the love and the energy, and it has uh, like Alex's favorite thing to say. It has um, kineticism to it. Yeah. It has movement, <laughs> and uh, so that that's that's always fun. Speaking of Alex, how does this like rate on the the scale, the sliding scale of LA movies? How LA is this movie and what are the most LA movies? Cuz you actually live there. So, I mean, we were talking about it earlier, right, in the in the episode even here, where it's like he focuses a lot on this area that we call the valley, which is like the northern inland basin of LA. You have Encino, which is where the film is shot and based around. That's where you get the Valley Girl accent and talk from. That's where Clueless was filmed. It's where a lot of like rich hoity-toity people lived for a long time in L.A. But mixed in with that, because it's L.A., you have a whole subclass of lower and middle class people that also rub shoulders with all of these people. So it captured that perfectly. And I mean, there I have pictures of my family waiting in car lines, drinking and having like dinner on top of their cars while they're waiting to get their gas. And it's not necessarily, the whole country was dealing with the shortage, right? But there are so many people in LA at any one time that you just can't avoid congregations of just activity. So it, it ranks pretty highly because I mean, he's from LA, he lived here, so he knows his shit. And he does the little things that you were talking about to make it feel real. But I don't know. As far as like L.A. movies, there that's a big long list, and I mean, <laughs> Falling Down is really, yeah, it's like the epitome of what you know right. '90s L.A. is, and even today with the traffic and the heat. But I don't know. Pulp Fiction is one. It's because that one that one hops all over L.A. and they mention specific parts in it. You know, I've driven past the car, like the car. Uh, chop yard <laughs> that the wolf takes them to to get rid of like the yep. body and whatnot so like oh what's the oh what's the name of the chick give me a second jeez is it misty yeah yeah respect for your elders <laughs> yeah i think her name is misty the chick that he takes out yeah um oh god i have no i have no idea but i mean la noir which is i mean i've never brought up that movie before I don't think on this podcast, but I mean, I, th I assume we would all like that movie. That's a great, that's on movie. the list for something we'll, we'll definitely do someday. Yeah, if I, it's game. good to know that you might choose it as well. Chinatown. I might choose it as well. I mean, there's so many different movies that talk about so many different. Oh, wait, I'm LA. thinking about LA confidential. Oh, excuse me. You were, you were talking, is that LA noir is about? the video game. Yeah, LA that's Confidential yeah, I was like, with Russell Crowe. Like, Jeff was all game. confused. There's a movie no, no. called LA <laughs> No, oh, that's interesting. Russell LA Peer. Confidential. Yeah. Easy mistake. So gullible when it comes to movies. I could like, I believe you guys, whatever you say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I did think about this question 
all day though, because you post it to me all day. And so I don't want to say this definitively, but I do have one choice for me personally that is the quintessential LA movie, and that is The Big Lebowski. Oh. Yeah. Okay. That's a good choice as well. Yeah. I haven't seen that in so long that it, I don't know, it doesn't track as LA. Like, I can't envision that, but. Oh. You know, once again, I don't live there. Once you guys come down to visit me, we'll watch The Big Lebowski while you guys are down here, and you'll feel <laughs> I'm it. Down? Yeah. <laughs> do you have to do that at some point? We'll go bowling. But yeah, too. man. Like, look, like watching this movie, I just felt there. It's like it's just felt hot. Everyone's like running around in their shorts, like it's like hanging out in the backyard, smoking. Everyone's together, like there's just crowds of people. I don't know. It's and I guess you could say that about a lot of places. But it just felt very authentic, you know? Mm-hmm. It just felt that to me. Yep, definitely. No, I agree. He did great with, I mean, he does so well with, like, stuff like that. And, I mean, the fact that it was kind of like a historical story that he added his own twist to makes it even cooler to me. I mean, I think he does that a lot with his films. I mean, you know, There Will Be Blood is based, there was, like, an oil man who he did base the story of Daniel Plainview off of, um, not to the T, but it's like, I don't know. There's little stories like that about LA. That movie is an LA movie as well. I mean, it's about the Southern California region, Long Beach, all of these areas that had so much oil before they were developed that like, there's all these threads that Paul Thomas Anderson is pulling out with these stories. And this one is definitely authentic. I will give you that. Like, I don't know, the colors and everything. Like, he didn't stylize the film that much. So it's less stylized than Boogie Nights. Like, there's more... There's, like, the mustaches and the and the bell-bottom pants are really present in Boogie Nights, and they're screaming at you, like, this is the 70s. Where this is, like... This is just a story of real people that takes place in the 70s. So, like... it. If I like the I like the int- that's interesting the point about um, there will be blood, so would that make Phantom Thread the only film he's made that isn't L.A. that doesn't take place in that region? Was Magnolia is that the only one? Vegas or not Magnolia? Um, Heart Eight wasn't Heart Eight? Heart Eight Vegas. I think Heart Eight was Vegas. There might have been some L.A. in there too. I can't remember. Or if Reno was it Reno? Yeah, Reno. It was like gambly, right? <laughs> gambly yeah, casino. it was definitely gambly. 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 Yes, was That's gambly. a word, people. We have English degrees. It's a very gambly film. <laughs> uh, yeah, but but that PTA, he loves his LA. He can't get can't get tired of it. Yeah, can't get tired <laughs> of putting it to film. Well, you want to do some awards? Should we do some Let's awards? Do some awards. Should we wrap up here. Let's march them out. Yeah. First off, our Phil Hoffman Award for best performance, right? <laughs> How yeah. how can we ever give it to anyone other than his fucking son? Yeah, <laughs> comes in, uh, knocks it out of the park. Man, it, I it, mean, are we all in agreement here? Oh, absolutely, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, he's entirely captivating, and he is he's like got the soul of a of a genius actor. Seventy five percent on screen, and just knocks it out of the park first time. That's like fucking Tom Hanks castaway level shit almost. Dude, prodigy level. Yeah, I. You know what I? So one of the things that I did, we came up with a new award, and then I modified an award, and I realized, like a little bit before the show, that all of the awards that we have now are references to PTA. Yeah. Like Phil Hoffman, <laughs> Phil Hoffman accepted, but he's in a bunch of it, so it counts. Mm-hmm. But so our next one is the I Drink Your Milkshake Award for most memorable scene. Right. Yep. Of course, that is from. Um, there will be blood. <laughs> and uh, what do you guys think? What wins? Tom Waits. Which part? I agree. Tom Waits. Just all of it? Just the whole, like, because I have one line. With him. I have one specific line from that part right. that would just, like, so it's when he turns to the waiter initially, like, after five minutes from sitting down, and he says, Give me a matchbox, a pound of grease from the kitchen, two <laughs> golf balls. <laughs> meet me on the eighth hole in two minutes yeah that dos was minutos. good <laughs> dos minutos that was fucking good dos minutos yeah so i like that we're all on the same page now yeah it's good for all these awards so i decided to modify our will smith award for most uncomfortable scene because i don't want to keep bringing him up 
to the Roller Girl Award because that might be one of the most fucking uncomfortable scenes I've ever seen, maybe in cinematic history, where um they're trying to get people off the street to have sex with Roller Girl and Boogie Nights. Oh yeah, yeah. Like that that always just rings in my mind as one of the most uncomfortable things I've ever watched. Yeah. And I named it that without thinking about this PTA thing. Maybe it was in the back of my brain, but it wasn't like I wasn't mm. completely cogent on this. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah. Roller Girl Award for most uncomfortable scene. Does it even apply? Where where would we go here? I don't really have one. You know, as far as like, we'll relate this to uncomfortability and like different levels of trauma because we've seen movies like City of God and stuff like that, right? So as far as uncomfortable goes, I will say he did a really good job of playing like up and uh, depicting the the anger, like the venomous envy and anger and jealousy that you get when someone you like is in like the arms of someone else or is on the arm of someone else and like a I was public say place. That exact thing, Alex. Holy Jesus Christ, fuck. dude, you nailed it. I was like, maybe the only thing I could think of is seeing the girl you like with another dude out in public. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh. <laughs> like when he was like. Mom, can we can we go home? And she's like, "Do you want to eat home at home?" And he was like, "Yeah." Yeah. I was just like, "Oh, yeah, bro." <laughs> yeah. Even in the Tom Waits scene where he goes in, another part of that scene I like to go back for a second is when he enters the restaurant. and He's like talking to the guy who owns it, and he's like, "No, no, no, it's all good. Corner table, yeah, I view, like yeah. I view." He wants to be able to see her. Yeah. Like the way that Anderson framed that entire scene and the way that whole thing played out like from beginning to end just made it my favorite for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's brutal. I think for most uncomfortable scene, I think I, I think I would give it to like the most tense scene in this case. Cause nothing was really uncomfortable, but when the car ran out of gas next to Bradley Cooper's sports car, <laughs> Right after he smashed its windows, I was like, oh, shit. Yep. Thou hast reap the devil, you know? <laughs> yeah, I definitely felt that. I was like, you get the fuck out of there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was the like one of the only times in like the movie where I moved forward in my seat. I was like, oh, tension. <laughs> That's a thing in movies. <laughs> All right. Um, and then our last award for the day is our frozen banana award for uh, most, <laughs> most comedic scene. I think we can all agree that the the entire Bradley Cooper sequence is uh, yeah, everything is, with Bradley Cooper. That it's intro gotta just be equal. That. Maybe that conversation. Yeah. I did chuckle. Just that yeah, that first conversation. I did chuckle a little bit, even though it was kind of overplayed in the trailers, uh when Sean Penn is just maniacally yelling, I'm coming, Nancy, on the fucking motorcycle. Um I just want to say, too, I actually, I'm a huge fan of Sean Penn. I feel like he's just a, I don't know, he's just such an interesting dude, and I'm glad he was in this film, and I think that the scenes to shoot with him and Tom Waits both in, like, the same room would have been just fucking awesome, so... (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Have of... some cocktails with him afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. His face when he's riding the motorcycle towards the jump yeah. will forever be burned into my that brain. Vein, like through his forehead. <laughs> just like And it's just like he's got this just like weird frown. His face is all scrunched up and it's just maniacal. Just plastic surgery is like very apparent. Yeah. <laughs> just it's just hilarious. Mm. Oh, poor Sean Penn and his plastic surgery. I didn't it's pick Hollywood. up on that. I don't what are you know. What are you going to do? It's Hollywood, baby. So I guess to wrap it up, um, does so this does qualify as your guys' bottom bottom tier Anderson, huh? Yep. This is definitely yeah. stone dead last. It, it, maybe it's, not it's dead last. It's weird saying the word. It's dead last for me. It's weird saying the word worst because there's not a worst. That, movie, that word yeah. doesn't really apply to his films, but it's definitely his least coherent mm-hmm. and successful film for me it's the least resonant to you personally it sits in at least like it's the least consumable for me digestible but it has its merits that puts it just slightly above phantom thread and i liked phantom thread i just i don't know something about yeah. that movie it didn't stick with me i will never watch phantom thread again i will give licorice pizza another chance Someday. Agreed with that. I definitely won't watch Phantom Thread, but since it was DDL's like swan song to acting, it's like I I, ha- I have to put it above this. I swear to God, I I'll hope probably it's watch not. it again at some point. But it was it was last before this one. I think this is like just under it. 
Um, that movie, I think it was. I think it's a masterpiece technically. To go back to like what we were saying about Wes Anderson, um, but it was just too aloof. Like Jeff and I watched it together, and both of us had the same reaction. We just couldn't really connect with it very sure, well. Yeah. yeah. But we admired the shit out of it, and that's. I think that's like the thing about Anderson is, even when you're not really keyed into. I don't know, whatever, like, even if it's not your kind of story, you're still yeah. marveling at his ability to make a movie because he's one of the best. Yeah. You know? And all the little elements of filmmaking, from shooting to editing to performances, they're always, like, pretty fucking perfect. He doesn't make a bad movie. Yeah. So it's no. hard. To, it, it, he's always churning out bangers. Yeah. It's like when you have, like, a great album... And it's like, yeah, this song is the worst song on this Judas Priest album, but it's still the like better than any song released on any of the other albums. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like Paul Thomas Anderson just ranks in a category unlike, really, to me, any director because the, even other directors I respect so much, Spielberg and Tarantino, like they have movies I genuinely don't like. Which, wait, which, as Spielberg, there are a few we can name. Yeah, there's but, a billion. But I'm, I'm curious about Tarantino, which let me is look, the Let me grab you. him real quick, just to make sure I don't like misspeak, because I am yeah. Is it the is hateful it, eight? Is it Death Proof? The one with Kurt Russell in the car, and the girls talking yes, for an hour? Yes, that Death Proof is definitely not a movie I fucking have. <laughs> that's my dead last Tarantino <laughs> as well. That is not a movie. I, I I think I watched half of that movie. Oh, you didn't get to the one good part, which is the end. <laughs> That's hilarious. The rest I'm is just inane dialogue. Credits. Yeah, but I also only watched it the one time, like, fucking 15 years ago. So maybe it's good on a yeah. rewatch. I don't no, know. that was still good. There's a lot of things that I didn't like about this film, but I'd watch it a hundred times over than some of the trash that comes out today. It still has meaning. It still has, like, yeah. intent. You know, which I think is, I don't know. I hate to say that intent is like a good qualifier for a film, but in today's age, like it, it really is. Like if a director can follow through with what he intended to make, um, then I re can like respect that. And yeah, same same vein as Wes Anderson. Like it, I'm really happy that he's in like a mental headspace where he can make films like this. And I just want to say in this two year, like just crazy fever dream that we've had on this planet. Like it makes sense that some unconventional stuff and methods are going to come out of art artists minds, you know, like some of us have been cooped up and like, it's just, I don't know for someone, for people like them, for the Andersons, right. It's like, fuck, they just got to do something different and they got to do something for them just for, a, just for a moment. So yeah, yeah. Definitely. Maybe uh, maybe if there's one takeaway, it's that you got to do something for you sometimes. I don't know what it is. You got to figure that out for yourself. But like I said in the beginning, we hope you're all doing okay out there. And uh, yeah, yeah, just take care of yourselves and watch watch a good movie. <laughs> yeah, do, <laughs> I don't know. do things creatively for you. Open up a waterbed store. Fuck it. Yeah. yeah, start a pinball palace. Yeah. I don't know how you're gonna get the funding, but uh, yeah, just go talk to Johnny Depp's dad. Or, uh, wait, no, it was Leo's dad. Yeah, Leo's yeah. dad was yes, in the movie. Yes, it was Leo's dad. Yeah, god damn it. <laughs> oh, Johnny, you're on your own uh, You're on your own show and circus at the moment. Oh, I wish god. you luck. I mean, I don't want to talk about that much, but there was this part, this little uh, two-second clip uh, that was posted on Twitter that I saw that made me, like, sad and happy, and it was him just kind of sitting at the stand, and there were people, like, giving witness you know, statements to his character, and they have to ask these witnesses questions, you know, to verify their information. So they're like, they're uh, they're like, what what role did your brother play in Pirates of the Caribbean? And she specifically says Captain Jack Sparrow. She makes the notion like the like the point to say Captain, Captain. Jack Sparrow, oh, that's and not Jack Sparrow. And he kind of he has his head down. You can tell he's really bummed, and he just cracks like a very small <laughs> smile Aww. for a moment. And you can just tell like uh. he loves who he is and being these roles and yeah it's just it's just a sad situation yeah yeah if people not are not aware of what my colleagues are talking about the amber heard johnny depp like i don't know lawsuit is being televised which is disgusting and please don't watch that yeah um but yeah we'll see what happens but 
It is what it is. We're all big Johnny Depp lovers in this, in the real weirdos. Yeah. We are. I really hope it's all on her because fuck Amber Heard. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Agreed. <laughs> all right. That's let's the, get out of here. Let's yep, get out of right. here. Real weirdos coming at you. Two and a half white men with English degrees talking about movies for way too goddamn long. Coming out with us on Twitter at Real Weirdos Pod. Hop in the comments. Say what's up. And we'll see y'all in the next one. All right. Enjoy the goulash. Yeah, licorice my balls. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> now our podcast is done and we have to run. We know it is sad, but we had so much fun. Don't be bereft, Jesse, Alex, and Jeff. We'll be back real soon. The Real Weirdos. We talk about movies for way too goddamn long.